0: You want your yeah, I'll take my your and <laughs> notes? There you go. Oh, I just already knocked my thing off. All right. Thank you, Ashley. Isn't she so good at that job? I mean, some people are just made to uh, bring people together and stand in front of people, and Ashley's one of them, so thank you. Thank you for that. Um, speaking of Ashleys, my name is Ashley. Um, I am a part of the teaching team here in Flourish. I am a wife to Stuart. I'm a mother to Elliot, who's 11, and Elijah, who will be four tomorrow. Um, I've been at New City Church for 10 years, and I've been studying the Word with women here for seven. Um, I've been asked to take a little bit of time and introduce you to Flourish. Now, some of you, this is your first time here, and all you've ever known is Flourish, Uh, Some of you have been here for a lot longer than me, and you've known this in all of its iterations, but we are now Flourish. Psalm 92 says this, But the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon, for they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God. At New City Church, our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus, we believe the next step after that is to help them flourish in their relationship with Jesus through the study of God's word and community with other women. So we're going to find, we're going to follow, and we're going to flourish. Tim Keller sums it up really nicely like this. He said, we were designed to know, serve, and love God supremely. And when we are faithful to that design, we flourish. All right, we you bow your heads and pray with me? Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it's living, it's active, it's sharp. Lord, will you do what only you can do and allow this message to land on the hearts of all the women here, that they would know that they have been in your presence and that they have heard your word. Father, we are expectant and ready to learn more about you today. We love you, we praise you, and everybody said amen. Amen. All right, as we've been talking about a life of influence week to week, we like to bring this up. It's our theme through Ruth and into Esther next semester, and I would like it if we could all read it together. Can we do that? Okay, ready? Let's go. God is the purposeful author and hero of our story. He defines our identity and invites us into a life of influence. So we already know this. We know that he's the author. We know that he's the hero. And we know that he is inviting us into identity and influence through him. We're going to land in two places today. We're going to talk about what does God say he is, and we're going to talk about how does he show us that. But before we do that, we're going to start with a little story, and it's one you might be familiar with because you read it in your homework. If you will turn in your Bibles to Ruth 1, and starting in verse 19, we're going to read through 21 together. So the two of them continued on their journey, and when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? There's a lot happening right here. There are the two women entering into Bethlehem and i would say that the town seems to have some feelings about them coming into coming back home and then i think what's really interesting is that even more specifically the women obviously feel some sort of way about this the second part of this passage naomi announces herself she lets us know where she's at what her circumstances are how she's feeling about all of that it specifically says here that what She's feeling bitter, right? Um, I think she uses the word empty. The ESV says that she believes the Lord has testified against her. Those are some pretty serious feelings and accusations, right? But if you look a little closer, while she's expressing herself and her feelings, while she's letting us know where she's at, She is also doing something else. And that leads us to our next point. Oh, I hit the wrong one. Sorry, y'all. Who does God say He is? If you look closely in verse 20 and 21, what do you notice? She is confessing the Lord's name. So, yes, she's bitter. Yes, she's empty. Yes, she's sad. But twice, Naomi uses Almighty as the name of God. Oh, I did it again. Sorry, y'all. Almighty. Almighty translate in, translates in Hebrew to Shaddai. And Shaddai is described like this, as God's strength and God's provision. So what we're seeing is on one hand... She's bitter, she's empty, she's sad, she's angry. Tragedy has occurred in her life. We're not gonna deny that. But at the same time, on the other hand, she is confessing truth. She's confessing God's name. So God's name, meaning Almighty, Shaddai, strength and provision, leads us to see something really beautiful happening right here the complexity of who Naomi is, and spoiler alert, the complexity of who we are, right? As humans, both of those things can occur at the same time in our lives. We can feel and believe that we are bitter and brokenhearted, we are suffering, we have questions, we're desperate, we're far from the Lord, and we can confess his name we can confess that he is almighty, that he is Shaddai, that he is our strength and he's our provider. God has space for our bitterness, our brokenness, our questions. God has space for our anger towards him. He can, he can handle both of those things at the same time. So once again, she's living in two places at once, which is a great picture of how I think we live our daily lives. Naomi isn't one dimensional. There's more to her than her bitterness. And I want you to hear that. It's really easy to read this and think, God, she's just a bitter old lady who's sad about what happened to her because she left. But there's more to her than that. And in her bitterness in her suffering, and even if she can't see it, right? I'm not sure she knew exactly what she was doing or saying. She does know in her mind that that's true. So, Naomi just told us what? She told us that God is our provider and our strength. And so far, and in the rest of this story, Ruth and Naomi's story, we also get to see God's hand and his sovereignty. Priscilla Shire describes sovereignty like this. She says that sovereignty is the overarching orchestration of all that happens in time and eternity. Revelation 1-4 says, the one who is the one who was, and the one who is to come. And the promise here, after the now, there is a to come, guys. We will make it through whatever it is we are going through to the other side. And God has already been there. He's orchestrated it. And we are allowed to rest in that promise. Okay, so we know that he's almighty. We know that he's sovereign, right? What else do we know? That he's faithful. That is very, very evident in this story and all throughout Scripture, right? We watch Naomi make a lot of poor choices. She directly disobeys God. She goes to Moab. She lets her sons marry Moabite women. That's just a few things, I'm sure, that she did in direct obedience to God. But one thing we know about God and one thing that she will learn about God Is his faithfulness, right? That when we stray away from God, he does not leave us. A favorite song of mine says it like this, that God is no less faithful when the night leads me astray. And 2 Timothy says, if we are unfaithful and he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. So, who does God say He is? He says He's Almighty. He should die. Our strength and our provision. God says He's sovereign over all things and that He's faithful. Okay, so now that we know who He is, let's talk a little bit about how He shows us that. There are three ways we're going to talk about today the Spirit, the law, and other people. Naomi, in Deuteron- or, I'm sorry, Naomi in this chapter, she shows us how his spirit is used a lot. In her disobedience and in her tragedy, God never left her. There are multiple times throughout scripture that God says he will never leave and he will never forsake. But not only did he not leave her, he used his spirit to guide her back to Bethlehem. And what I want you to recognize here and what I'd like to hit home is that none of this was by chance, okay? It wasn't luck that she went back, right? That she made it back. Last week, we learned how long and treacherous that journey must have been. Two women on a road by themselves, right? That was not their own doing. God did that. We see the spirit move and the timing of her coming back. We see the spirit move in who she brought back with her. It was the spirit, you guys, moving in her life through her footsteps to bring her closer to God and what he had for her. Let's look in Ruth and Naomi together. Ruth 1.22 says this. Sorry, I'm lost. There we go. Ruth 1.22 says this, they arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of barley harvest. They entered into Bethlehem at a season of harvest. Once again, right? Not by chance. God, our provider, led them by his spirit into Bethlehem at the right time. Let's look at Ruth by herself. This is one of my favorite parts of this chapter, and we'll get into it a little bit. Let's read 2, 3. It says this. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. God works in ordinary choices in ordinary experiences to provide for those who trust him. Are you familiar with that feeling? The idea that God guides us supernaturally wherever we go? As we go through our everyday life, as we meet our new neighbors, as we drop our kids off at school, the spirit can guide how it is you say hello to your co-workers. If you are looking for it around every corner and in every moment, the spirit is there and there is an opportunity for it to move and guide you. Okay. Let's look at Boaz. How did the spirit move in Boaz's life? 2.11... In our homework, says this. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything you have done for your mother in law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother in your own land to live here among complete strangers. You see, what God did here is He allowed Boaz to see Ruth the way that God saw Ruth. Boaz allowed God's spirit to guide him into a conversation with her. He allowed her to be seen as more than a foreigner, not just a foreigner, a Moabite woman, who like we have learned is basically the enemy of the Israelites, okay? A widow, she's poor, she has nothing to give. And Boaz did not see her like that at all. He saw her through the eyes of God. Okay, so let's move on to how he shows us with his law. God uses his law to reveal his character and his nature to humanity. How did the law show up in Naomi's life? Well, we already talked about what she did in her confession of who God was, right? She called him Almighty. Should I? Why does she know this? How does she know this? Because she grew up under the law. The law of God was taught to her. And through that law, she was taught who he was. So he uses his law to remind us of who he is. Through Ruth and Naomi, let's turn in Leviticus 19. It's all the way back. We're gonna look at 9 and 10. It says this, When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields, and do not pick up what the harvester's drop. It is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines, and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. So, how did he use the law in Ruth and Naomi's life together? After reading this, we know that he provided under Israel's covenant with God for them way before they ever came along. Let's look at Boaz next. What did Boaz do with God's law? Well, to put it simply, he obeyed. Obeying the law was a central part of Jewish identity and mattered greatly to people like Boaz. He knew what to do. He had learned the ways, and he obeyed. But what we get to see here is what he did with his obedience. He took it one step further, right? Chapter 2, 8 and 9 says this. Let me get back. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us. When you gather grain, don't go, any, go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Everything we just read beyond letting her glean in his field is extra. It's the kindness of God shown to Ruth through Boaz. All right. So, we know he uses his spirit to guide us. We know he uses his law to show us. Next, we're going to talk about how he uses people. The people he places in our lives point us back to himself, How did God use Naomi? Well, practically, she provided a way to Bethlehem for Ruth. Ruth would not have entered into Bethlehem had she not met Naomi, had she not married her son, had she not made a choice on the path to stay with Naomi. And we have also said and we believe that God revealed himself to Ruth through Naomi, right? So that's how Naomi was used. Let's look at Ruth. Ruth was a friend to Naomi. She stayed with her through very difficult times. There was an easier option of going home and being with her parents in her homeland. She didn't do that. And then because she stayed and entered Bethlehem, she was also able to physically provide for Naomi. There are a lot of other ways Ruth was used, but we're going to move on to Boaz. How did God use Boaz? Well, well, Boaz was the provider for Ruth and for Naomi, right? And he demonstrated God's provision by allowing Ruth to gather from his field. And he also used kindness to pierce the heart of Ruth and Naomi, right? So, how does he show us who he is? Can we read that? What is it? Spirit, law, law and through other people, that's right. So now that we know a little bit more about who God says he is, and we know a few ways that he wants to show us that, I want to circle back to the beginning of our story, back to the beginning where two women were about to enter into Bethlehem, and Naomi, in her despair, and her bitterness, her brokenness, and she, when she believed that God had turned against her, she cried out to God Almighty. One thing I don't want to do is stand up here and say that it's easy for us to see God in our tragedy, and our desperation. We live in a fallen world, which means we cannot avoid sickness, We cannot avoid the failure of our body. We cannot avoid what, ultimately death. But I will and I can stand up here and say that God is faithful. He is with us as our strength and our provider. He has gone ahead of us. His spirit is moving all throughout whatever it is that we are facing. And if we do believe that God is who he says he is, I, we, have to trust him and his sovereignty in all of our circumstances. God is our father and we are his children and he hates our pain. But in the midst of our suffering and our pain, our God is able to move. Some of us, in this room are holding on for dear life. We're hanging on to that last little thread of hope. But I want to say this. If that thread that we are holding on to is the thread of faithfulness, sovereignty, strength, and provision that we see in this story and throughout all of scripture, I know that we are going to see through to the other side. So whatever your Moab is, God is there and he is calling you back to Bethlehem just like he did for Naomi. So here's my final thought, or as Chris Payne likes to say, the bottom line. (laughs) We are all on the road to Bethlehem, every single one of us. It's really just a matter of where we are on the road and what we're doing on that road. So, where are you on the road? Are you in Moab still? Have you turned away from God? Are you doing your own thing the way you want to do it? Or maybe you're like Naomi, and you've turned back to what God has for you. You're re-entering Bethlehem again for the first time in a long while. Maybe you're Ruth. Maybe you're seeing Bethlehem for the first time, and this is all brand new to you. Can I just say that welcome? We're like so very excited you're here. Or maybe you're Boaz. Power to you if you are. You stayed the course. (laughs) You've remained faithful. The thing is, no matter where we are on this road, the question we can always ask ourselves is this. Am I moving towards God? Because the reality is, if you are not moving towards God, you are moving away from Him. So, wherever you are, remember the next step is to always move towards God. Thank you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for who you are, thank you for teaching us about yourself. Lord, we believe that you are the same God now as you were in this story. Father, we stand on your strength and your power. We stand on your sovereignty and your faithfulness. We believe in those things. Lord, we need you to meet us here right now. Like you met Naomi on her road to Bethlehem. Lord, we need your strength and provision to get us through we need to remember your sovereignty in all of our circumstances, and we need to remain in that feeling of faithfulness, the one where we know you're with us. Father God, we love you. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We praise you, and it is in your son's holy and precious name we say. Amen. All right, you're